You know what the most dangerous thing in America is, right? Nigga with a library card. <laughs> This is the Most Dangerous Thing in America podcast, a show in which we read books by black authors, and they're talked about by a black author, and you can listen if you are black or not black, that's okay. This week, we have a bonus episode. I will probably stop doing that someday. Can't remember where I stole that from. Definitely stole it, but uh, I don't remember from where. Anyway... This week on the show, I'm discussing Touched by Shadows by Vaughn A. Jackson. I'm going to hop right in here. How did I come to this book? Well, longtime listeners of the show will remember that I read Up from the Deep by Vaughn A. Jackson in 2021. Uh, longtime listeners being anybody who's been listening for a year. Really, anybody who's been listening for more than one episode. I appreciate you and you're a longtime listener. So that's how I came to the book. I had Mr. Jackson on my radar, and he came out with a new book, so... I decided to read it and talk about it. So here's a two-sentence recap, and then I'm going to kind of like talk about the um, the setting, the characters, and then something that I've labeled here in my document as pulpy things. All right, two-sentence recap. Maybe just one sentence, actually. After escaping from a lab where she has been experimented on, a black child is taken in by a white family who have no idea about the power she possesses or the dark forces vying for it. It's a pretty good summary. Okay, so uh, I read this novel in about two days, and I got like halfway through, and I noticed some things that I was like, all right, this feels, did I miss something here? This feels like it's not set in 2022. And then I went back to the first page, and it's a very, I mean, it's like the first paragraph. It says uh, something like, uh, you know, experimentation notes October 24th 1974 something like that it's like in the very first paragraph I just missed it so I made all these notes about how this doesn't feel like a a novel set in the modern day and rather than throw those notes away I'll just point out the things that felt very much like this uh, got the time period right because that's a good thing right if I'm if I'm reading a novel going like this doesn't feel like it's set in 20 20 and it wasn't set in 2020 and I just didn't realize it until halfway through like it because one thing happened and I was like well that seems weird uh and then another couple of things happened and then I just eventually got it wasn't halfway through it was like chapter six so about a third of the way through I was like let me let me go back I must have missed something and and sure enough I did but anyway so the first thing was in chapter one the FBI uh, agents show up to the lab and they're smoking cigarettes and I was like oh that doesn't happen anymore nobody smokes cigarettes Especially these FBI agents now, you know, they all go to university, they're all educated and stuff. Especially these rookies up, up, uh, hot shot young guys, and then they go in and they meet the old dinosaurs. I don't even think the old dinosaurs smoke cigarettes anymore. Anyway, so there's that. Then there's the presence of the Klan. So the novel is set in the South in the 70s. And it's not that the Klan isn't alive today, it's just that it was much more prominent you know, decades ago, even during the 90s, it's, there's still things going on in the South and there's still racism, but specifically the Klan feels like something from my childhood. And I'm sure the childhood of people older than me who grew up in the South who are black and white, 
so I was like, man, there's a lot of clan in this novel for a 2020 novel. And then lynchings, actual lynchings, lynchings in the specific way that we mean uh, by hanging somebody by a tree, which that happened late into, I think the, I think the last lynching of that sort happened in the 90s to a black person, but lynching doesn't necessarily refer to the act of hanging somebody by their neck from a tree. So what happened to Ahmed Arbery was a lynching, and that's why those people are going away for life. So there's that, uh, as they should be. And well, that was a sidetrack, but it's just impossible to, to, it's impossible to say the word lynching and not get a bit worked up. And then uh, the other thing is there's no cell phones or computers anywhere in the novel. And I was like, this seems noticeable. By chapter six, I was like, you know what? That seems noticeable. There's no, there's no cell phones. And one of the main characters is a reporter or a journalist. And I was like, man, no cell phone for this guy? He's really old school. So, yeah, chalk it up to me being dumb. But anyway, it was a good job of uh, really nailing the, the time and the period and the place. Because as I was reading along, I was like, right, okay, there's no way this is modern day. So, that part's really well done. And then, yeah, so it's set mostly in North Carolina in a small town that escapes me right now the name of it. Probably not the name of a real town. And then characters. I want to go through four characters. Uh, actually, one of these is three people. So three characters and then three characters who I'm counting as one character. And just kind of talk about what I liked about them. So, all right, my favorite character in the novel by far is Leslie. That's the journalist who I just mentioned. He's the novel's comic relief, although there's humor throughout the novel. But yeah, he's definitely the funniest character in the novel. And he's kind of a mix of brave journalist, you know, operating under a moral code that he has for himself and a giant coward. So that's that in itself is already inherently funny. So like, for instance, he goes to a bar when he when he goes he's chasing a story and he's headed to north carolina the story he's chasing is that that young girl that escaped from the lab but he doesn't you know he doesn't know all the details yet but anyway so he he goes down to north carolina and he goes into a racist bar and he immediately just mouths off at the bar but he's not brave and he he covers his face and waits to get knocked out so you're like all right well that's incongruous because it's like on one hand he's He'll, he'll pop off, but on the other hand, he, he won't fight. And then, so there's several of these instances. He he witnesses the young female character, the uh, the young black kid, Umu. She's about to get lynched, and he just watches it. But, you know, then he'll mouth off at the bar. He steps in and saves her at a church when she's, uh, when they're, when, when everybody in the church is ganging up on uh, her and the family that adopted her. But then he sat out the lynching. He mouths off to the King of Thorns, who's the antagonist in the novel, but then he'll keep quiet about other things. So he's kind of just a funny mix of bravado, but also cowardice. And then, yeah, he's just got good one-liners. He drinks too much. And in general, he's like uh, probably the guy who you can relate to most in the novel. He's kind of cynical, and he steps away from the action the most and kind of comments on it while being in the action. So yeah, really like Leslie, my favorite character. And then Umu is the main character. She's the child who escapes from the laboratory with these powers that seem more fantastical than scientific. So this is a horror novel, but like this aspect, there are definitely fantastical elements. 
and then horror elements. And this part seems some kind of blend of horror and sci-fi. But whatever. Anyway, so she's got these powers. And it really made me think of the female character, Laura, in the movie Logan. Uh, where she is known as Subject X-23. And she's Wolverine, or Logan's biological daughter in the novel. What in the novel? In the movie. And she's, like, dealing with having to have powers and like kill people and all these themes of what it means for a child to grow up in a world too quickly and then have to deal with people who don't like her for no good reason. Uh, those themes are also in touch by shadows with the fact that Umu was taken so young from her parents that she doesn't even really know that she's black. She doesn't understand racism. And then on top of it, she has these powers. So she's got like the threefold thing here. Uh, she's an orphan she's black and she has these powers whereas in logan uh laura the fact that she's a mutant is why they don't like her uh the race thing the mutant uh thing is the allegory for race or any other thing uh in in that movie but so yeah so so umu's character reminds me of laura from logan and yeah really easy to root for in that sense it's an innocent kid who's never done anything wrong so easy to get behind her and then, okay, so then that's Umu and that's Leslie. And those are those are the two characters who we really follow the most throughout the novel. It's mostly told through Umu's side of the story. And then Leslie's kind of tracking her down. And then eventually they meet and uh, the action picks up from there. And then the family who takes her in are the Chastains. I'm just going to go ahead and say right now that the Chastains are weird. They're weird people. And I think part of it's intentional on the author's part, on, uh, on uh, Vaughn A. Jackson's part. But part of it is just that, like, it's a, it's, a, it's a fun pulp novel, so we just have these characters who are kind of weird, and that's just the way they're going to be. Because Mr. Chastain has, like, an odd sense of humor. Uh, his wife, Elizabeth, her sense of humor is not that odd. And then the daughter, Amanda, she's just, like, the purest... She's overly, crazily, way too nice. And uh, in general... They're a family of well-meaning, I mean, they have to be liberal to take in a little black child in the South. So let's say well-meaning uh, white liberal family who doesn't really get that they actually live amongst a bunch of people who hate black people, like really, really hate them. And so this reality is brought to them in full color. Is that a bad pun? So anyway, they really get to discover what the South is like. And then, yeah, they really get to put their liberal ideals to the test. How much do you really like this uh, black child that you've taken in? Do you like her enough to risk your family's safety, to protect her with your own life, etc., etc., etc.? Or would you just fall in line with the town? They kind of straddle that line. The, the child, the Chastain child, Amanda, she doesn't. She's too young and innocent to... She's too young and innocent to make calculated decisions. She's, she's making selfish decisions, but her selfishness is based off the fact that she has a best friend now and she likes her and that's Umu. And she doesn't care what it takes to protect her. But her family's calculated interest is like, well, we'd rather not die to save one little black child. But for a while, they don't, they don't make that calculated uh, decision. They're just like, no, no, we're going to save her, we're going to save her, we're going to save her. And then once people start dying and we won't get into why you'll have to read the novel but once people start dying then it's like well maybe we should just let umu be umu <laughs> good luck umu 
so yeah, really test those liberal idea ideals. You know, everybody. It's kind of like a version of that Mike Tyson saying, "Everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face." Everybody's a liberal until the lynch mob shows up at your house. So yeah. Anyway, the Chastains are weird. They're just so yeah. So okay, what do I mean by saying that they're weird? I mean that they're just so nice, and it's a little bit like, okay, is this real or not? And then eventually we. Their, their realness is put to the test. So we get there. And then uh, my favorite side characters. So those are really the main characters of the novel. There's a few here or there or whatever. Uh, King of Thorns is the antagonist. As I said, he's a supernatural being trying to possess uh, Umu. That's that's just your basics in every novel. You know, you get that there. Uh, but uh, no, so that, that's a thing. But my favorite side character is the Reverend. You could spin the Reverend out into his own uh, B-movie in the 70s. And yeah, he had a good arc. I don't want to reveal what happens to him, but just he's crazy. And it's a good mixture of religiosity and racism. It's weird to say it's a good mixture of racism and religiosity, but that kind of like fervent belief that can inform your religious beliefs and also form your bigotry. And uh, the Reverend really the Reverend really delivers on, on both fronts. He is a man who believes something. And he believes it strongly. So that was good. And then, all right, pulpy things. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's a pulp novel. It references that it's a pulp novel. And it doesn't, it's not shy about being a pulp novel. Just like the first one that we reviewed here. Uh, what was it? Up to the Deep, right? Up up from the Deep. Uh, Von A. Jackson likes writing pulp things. And it's nice that it's set in 1974. So, a couple of pulpy things. First one would be this cabin where the like final four chapters take place and where other action takes place throughout the novel is just the cabin that everyone finds is what you would call it. So Leslie finds it on a map with um, just blacks written on it, which I mean like is kind of a joke, but like at the same time, everybody would know where the one black family lived. And, uh, but still just on a map in a bar where it just says blacks, it's just kind of funny and then uh miss vicky's able to find it later in the novel miss vicky a side character she's able to find it and the way she's able to find it is she's she's kind of directed there by amanda who's you know under 12 years old or 12 years old so she shouldn't be able to find it but miss vicky is tricked into going to the cabin which takes amanda to the cabin where she's not supposed to be because her parents are worried that she'll get killed along with umu but the point is, is that everybody just finds this cabin and, you know, easily being able to track down a cabin in the woods is is funny. It's funny and pulpy. So I like that. The N-bombs, a lot of N-bombs in here. We got one in the bus on the way to North Carolina. We got one in a bar. Uh, and then we got uh, in the church. In the church, we got the N-word. So that was funny because... Whether or not you believe that a white person would say the N-word in front of a bunch of other white people in a church, even if that's like, even if uh, even if uh, it's naive to believe that wouldn't happen, it is still funny to imagine it. Some guy in like a cut-off flannel with like tobacco dip in his lip screaming about, um, you know, the darkies with like, a giant crucifix above him, you know, whatever. It's just kind of funny imagery. So that was really good, liked that. And then uh, a couple other pulpy things. Oh, the action in general. Chapter 8 in particular is really good. That's where we first get our 
our first real taste of action here. I wrote uh, when this scene was happening. So this in this scene, the town, the small town North Carolina has had enough. And so they decide they're going to go kill this 12-year-old child, Umu. And so during this scene, it's just brutal. She's getting attacked. Amanda has taken off for help. Umu's by herself. And you're just dreading what's going to happen. And then uh, uh, Von A. Jackson writes... Umu rose from the ground, facing down the gathered robes who watched in disbelief as she floated above them. Her eyes rolled back into her head and she spoke in a shrill screech. Never again, she roared. And I wrote, uh, pretty satisfying. And kind of reminded me again, uh, because she's black and uh, I was already thinking of the X-Men, it reminded me of Storm. But I don't like Storm, so I don't like that uh, reference. My apologies, my apologies. Yeah, so then... That I enjoyed that chapter eight, and then all of the all of the scenes in general. There's a lot of good, violent, horrible scenes, like horror scenes, and really good imagery. A lot of blood coming out of the eyes. A lot of eye stuff in general. The King of Thorns has like hollowed out eyes, but there's blood coming out of eyes. Really uncomfortable stuff, you know. It gives you that kind of hollowed bone feeling when you read in it. Like nothing makes me feel worse than the idea of some unnatural liquid coming out of my eyes or some unholy visage being represented by weird eyes. So that's good to read if you're into being made uh, made to feel uncomfortable by what you're reading. Oh, last two things were Carver putting his gun down. So uh, Leslie's holed up in that same cabin. I'm not going to get into why, but whatever. He's holed up in that cabin. He's looking for Umu, etc. And while he's holed up in the cabin... He just gets a visit from this police officer. And the police officer comes to uh, to the door and Leslie's like, no, you got to put your gun down. Da, 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 da. And the police officer complies and puts his gun down and then like walks into the cabin. Not going to happen, but I liked it. So liked that that happened. And then my last favorite pulpy thing goes back to Mr. Chastain when he meets his demise. So I, that's. That's the most I'll say, but I guess I've spoiled something there for you. You should always know never to listen to this podcast if you don't want spoilers. But when he meets his demise, he's um, he's a he's a medical doctor and he's bleeding out or whatever. And someone I'm not even gonna say who's there that way I won't give away. But someone says to him like, "Are you gonna be okay?" And he's like, "Well, my official prognosis is," and that was very very funny. So I liked that. So yeah, a lot of good stuff in here like that. A lot of laughs. But a good amount of seriousness, too. And I think that the seriousness is over the top enough to deliver it into that kind of like machete kind of range, that that machete kind of tone where you are addressing a serious issue, but you're doing it with pulp. So I do think it's over the top enough to get there. Uh, But I do think also that like, you know, that's a tricky tone to pull off. So there are parts where it's going to feel uncomfortable because like, yeah, on one hand, on the one hand, you definitely want Umu to rise up and just, you know, crush a clan member into a ball. But on the other hand, it's like, man, she almost got lynched and, you know, she's a 12 year old black child and you can imagine something much worse happening to her. Uh, And we don't really have to imagine. We can go look up the historical register and see. So, that's always the tricky thing with this stuff because it's like we want to just have the fun fantasy, but at the same time, like, you know, while we're having fun, this stuff is rooted in a history. So it can be difficult, but 
for the most part, I thought it, it did a good job of balancing it. And there's so much, uh, there are so many funny moments besides that, um, ultimately it ends up feeling pretty light. And yeah, the only thing that I would have wanted besides what I got was, I guess I wanted like more hardcore explanation of what Umu's, what, what they were doing to her. Like, what is this power that she has? Because as I said earlier, it seems more like sci-fi-ish, but then the rest of the novel seems more fantastical mixed with religion. So perhaps more of an explanation about Umu's powers. Then again, I may have just missed it because it was in the first chapter and I missed that it was 1974 until I went back and checked. So, you know, that might just be me. But yeah, this was a fun horror novel. If you are looking for a fun, pulpy read, uh, a little bit of horror a little bit of sci-fi, a little bit of fantasy, then yeah, check it out, Touched by Shadows by Vaughn A. Jackson. And that's going to do it for this week. We'll be back next week with the second part of On Reason by Emmanuel Ezzi. And then, yeah, after that, two weeks. Until then, stay safe, stay black, and keep reading.